Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. As uh, we look at the whole thought to do with uh, being fearless. But before I just open the Bible, just want to say that it is great to see so many, again, so many people here today. And I know there's lots of people who aren't here. Uh, Mothering Sunday is always a, an interesting one because, of course, <clears throat> there's people who go and visit you know, sons and daughters or sons and daughters come and visit them. And, you know, it's not always easy to, to get on a, on a Sunday morning. Uh, but it is good for us to gather here and for us to honor the ladies uh, amongst us. Um, but I was just um, really, really uh, impressed by all the activity that's happening in the back. I don't know whether you've seen it. You know, there's lots of things happening in the building at the moment, which is very exciting. And uh, in the next, certainly the next I would have thought four to eight weeks, hopefully we'll be in a position to be able to cut a ribbon for kids' church to be able to operate over this side safely. Not that they're not safe there, but they're more in in an area where they can actually, is is purpose built for them. And uh, I'm just very, very grateful for this building. Buildings are just buildings at the end of the day, the bricks and mortar, but they do allow us to do ministry. And I'm very grateful for this building. It takes a lot of money, a lot of time and a lot of effort. And thanks to the guys who clean it and take care of it so well. And it's great to, you know, when I was down here last week to see Louise and Leslie just doing an incredible job, just uh, really working with particularly a group of guys for Care for a Coffee and just to hear some of the guys' stories and you know, that's what we want this building to be used for, don't we? We want it to be used for the community. Opened up every single day so people can use it. A place where people can find hope because hope is here. Can I get a big amen? It is. Hope is here. Not quite as big as that, Vicky, but, uh, you know, hope is, hope is here amongst us. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We do thank you for every, every lady that's here, every mum that's here, every grandma, every auntie. We honour the ladies amongst us. And uh, Lord, we, we love them, we appreciate them. And we thank you that actually all kinds of people are honoured in Arena Church, both men and women, and also young children and older people. We love them all. And I just pray, Lord, that as I just open the Bible, that you would just speak to us and encourage us. And, and Lord, even for those whose heads may be down today, that they would walk from this place with their heads lifted high, knowing that you are with them, knowing that you are for them, as Andy uh, encouraged us to to understand that truth this morning. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you've got your Bible, whether you just turn with me uh, to 1 Corinthians and chapter 16. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it reads this, uh, these verses... Have I got the right verse here? Sorry. I'm going to, yeah, sorry, I know why it is. I'm reading from the New International Version. You've opened your Bibles and you won't be able to read it from it. It's actually from the message. So let me just, be, sorry, let me just get focused here. It says here that we are to keep our eyes open. We are to hold tight to our convictions. We're to give it all we've got. And we're called to be resolute and love without stopping. I'll read that again. To keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions, give it all you've got, be resolute, and love without stopping. This is the third week of Fearless, and uh, in today's uh, message, I want to talk about the thought about we are not afraid to fail. 
Just raise your hand if you've ever failed at anything. Every hand's up. We've all failed at something. And the reality is some of those failures that you and I have put our hands up for haven't been life-changing. They haven't been life-altering. We may have just failed at an exam and we then just resat it and we passed it. We may have failed our, our driving test and the reality is we go again, Eleanor, recently passed, she failed it before. I said to her when she failed, I said, just go again, book it in again and just go again. I'm not being flippant, but it's not life changing, life altering. You know, when those things happen, in, happen to us. But there are some things that come across our path that can be life altering, that can be life changing. Some people here have experienced divorce. It's taken you a long time to recover. Some people are still recovering from those kinds of failures. You may have been like I have, have been involved in a past experience where a business that you put a lot of money and time and energy into and it failed. And those things take a long time to recover from. It may be that you're here and you've had your house repossessed and you feel like that's been a failure. You're marked by it. And again, these things are very, very painful. But I'm here to tell you today that God does not want us to live with fear and the fear of failure just wrapped around us. Life throws many challenges at all of us. Can I hear a yes or an amen? amen. That's the reality. Life is difficult. Jesus actually said in this life you'll have many challenges, many difficulties. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You know, I say to people all the time, Life, you know, when we come to Jesus, if you don't know, if you're not in faith today and you're just trying to figure things out, one thing that I do know is that Jesus is with us. That's what I have the certainty. And that's the wonderful message of the gospel that not only does God take care of us here, but he also takes care of us in a life to come. There's an eternity to come. But one thing that God doesn't promise us is an easy ride, particularly as Christian people. Life is difficult. Life is tough. Life is challenging. It throws all kinds of mess and difficulties. There's all kinds of twists and turns that come to our lives. But what I've realized is this. This is my story. It's not just a message. This is my story. Is that actually failure is not going to hold me back. Because for many people, they failed and then they determined to never try again. I want to say a few declarations I am not afraid to fail any longer. Honestly, with all my heart. And I'm one of the minority. But I'm not afraid to fail. Fear has lost its power over me. It has lost its power over me. This is why as a church, we will continue to walk into things that we say, is that possible? I don't know. But I just get this leading of God. We're not trying to be reckless. But we're going to continue to walk into things because fear has lost its power over me and over us as a community of believers. You know, there are many people who are trying to avoid fear, uh, failure. They're, they're trying to avoid failure. And when you aren't trying to avoid failure, again, fear loses its foothold. I'm not walking through life trying to walk this tightrope of perfection. Some people try to live their lives like that. And interestingly, you can talk to people who had a, a, a father or a mother who was a bit of a perfectionist and they didn't dare to breathe. I want to tell you today, 
that I'm not trying to walk through this life to try and avoid failure. Fear has no foothold over my life. Can I hear a big amen? And the courage to take a chance is half the battle. Sometimes we've just got to say, you know what? I'm going to step in to what I feel that God is leading me into. There's a door of opportunity that has opened up and I'm going to walk into it courageously. This is this message. This is not trying to handle fear. I'll touch on it. Um, the, The whole series is actually raising up a fearless spirit, an audacious, bold, confident, courageous spirit. And that is what is needed in this day and in this age because people are so fearful. People are intimidated. People back off. I, want, I believe that God is wanting the church to rise up, not back down in Jesus' name. But one thing I've realized is this. Courage to take a chance is half a battle, like I've said. But the other half is viewing failure as a teacher, not as an enemy. Most people look at failure as an enemy. Failure is not an enemy. It is a teacher. I haven't got time to unwrap it, but when I got involved in this business, I'm not thankful that the business went down. I'm not thankful that people lost their jobs. I'm not thankful that we lost lots and lots of money. I'm not thankful that it looked like there was a lot of time that was given away and there was nothing productive at the end. But I want to tell you this, I learned so much through through that failure. It was a teacher to me. I learned how to do things, how not to do things, how to handle myself. I learned skills that I never thought I would ever learn possible. And actually many of those skills, the church is now benefiting from. Because I wouldn't have known those things if I hadn't put myself in an environment where I had to learn. Are you understanding me? Please do not think that failure is the end of your life. If you are here and you've walked in, this is where the passion comes, Jared. You know, if you are here in here, because I just get a sense every time I come over here, there's people who've come in and your heads are down. I get that. My head for months was so down. I, I, I can't even begin to tell you. You know, some of the guys know that I, I, I offered, I tendered my resignation. This is not new stuff. I tendered my resignation to the church because I just felt like I was such a failure because I was pastoring the church and building this business and the business went wrong. And I, my head was so down, I felt I'd let Caroline down. I felt I'd let the kids down. I felt I'd let the church down. By the way, I felt I'd let God down and I didn't think I'd ever recover. And my head was down and I'd come in on a Sunday. And by the way, I was having to preach while I was navigating all this through. I remember at times just being on the front. And there was one particular time the elders came to me on a Sunday. They knew my head was so down in the middle of the worship. They just began to pray for me. I began to weep and weep and weep. I was so broken. I didn't think I'd ever get up again. But thanks be to God, failure is not the end of my story. I'm here to take today to tell you failure is not the end of your story. Whatever this thing called life has thrown at you. And it can be cruel, it can be difficult. And some of the failures that we have are self-inflicted. We've inflicted them on ourselves. And you know what? God understands that. Some of my failure was self-inflicted. Some of it wasn't. It was outside of my control. But I'm here to tell you that God has a plan for your life. 
that in the midst of your failure, he's wanting you to embrace it, not as an enemy, but as a teacher. What, is, what are you needing to learn from this experience? Am I speaking to anybody today? Am I preaching to anybody today? What are you learning from what you've experienced? Because the Bible is littered with failures. Why is that? Why is the Bible littered with failures? Why does it, you know, from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation, we see all the gore of people's lives. There's one particular man by the name of David. For those who don't know, David was a prolific king. He was outstanding. In fact, God says about this man, he's a man after my own heart. God, God said that about David. But let me tell you a little bit about David. David, if you don't know, was an adulterer. He then became a murderer. He bumped off the woman who he was sleeping with. He bumped off her husband. Does that sound like a great kind of, you know, experience? No, it reminds me of something you'd see in EastEnders or Coronation Street or something like that. I don't know. It's in the Bible. And you, some of you here are thinking the Bible's just this perfect book. Let me tell you, the Bible is so raw. It's so real. You see people's lives for who they are. And by the way, God understands that we are not perfect. We are fallen human beings. Sin has entered this world and sin has entangled itself around our lives. The, 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 the mystery of the gospel is that salvation comes to our lives as we invite Jesus into our lives and the power of the Holy Spirit. The sin that so, so entangled us, we get freer and freer off. Can I hear an amen? That's what happens. But we're not perfect. And David was not perfect. But what I love about David, he didn't allow his failings to stop him from moving into all that God had for him. He was fearless in his spirit. Let me take you to a story about David. Anybody here ever did Sunday school? Just give me a wave. You, well, if you've done Sunday school, you'll know with a favorite Bible story of Sunday school, it was mine, of David and Goliath. By the way, Goliath was nine Nine and a half foot tall. We, my, Isaac and Lily about play basketball, but Isaac particularly loves basketball. And there was one particular time we was going through, um, was we in Washington? We was going through Washington, D.C. And as we was in customs to get into America, because obviously we're, we're in the non-U.S. residence, there's U.S. residence queue. Who's there? This might mean something to some of you, but not to others. There was a man by the name of Shaquille O'Neal. Give me a wave if you've ever heard of Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq, they call him. He's an, he's an American basketballer. He was there in the queue while we were waiting. So I said to, I said to Isaac, that's Shaquille O'Neal. And uh, really, there was, I said, I'm telling you, it's Shaquille O'Neal. So I went up to him and said, excuse me, are you Shaquille O'Neal? He's ginormous. He's about seven foot two built like a brick house. I mean, he's just there. I mean, just big guy. Yeah, deep voice. Yeah. Like this, don't it? It's true. Yeah, man. Like this, he had his, these, these Dr. Beats on and, he, he, you know, he had these headphones and, 
And I just said to him, I said, my, my son's, he must have thought, who's this, who's this English guy? What does he want? And I said, listen, my son and daughter are massively into basketball. Would they be able to take a photo of, you know, uh, sorry, an autograph of you? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll go through customs. And he said, yeah, no problem. The point I want to get to, we went through customs. He waited for us. He was a remarkable celebrity. He was so kind to the kids. He was so lovely. Don't believe everything you read about celebrities being horrible to everybody. They're not. He was lovely. But what I want to say is, I had this, we had this picture, we haven't, we haven't got it, with um, uh, Shaquille O'Neal with Isaac and Lilia. He was massive. It, was, it, was, it looked like David and Goliath. He was so big compared to these little, little, little kiddies. And that's what you've got to get in your mind. David went and fought somebody who was huge. He was huge. He went to fight him because he was fearless in his spirit. There was something in his heart that said, I'm going to take this, 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 um, this giant. Because you know what? There's, there's two things I want to say around, around fear, fear and around failure. First of all, you know, uh, fear and failure, failure have the same name. I just want to take you to a passage of, of Scripture here. It has the same name. Failure has the same name. Because here we look at Goliath, when he goes to fight him, it says in 1 Samuel 17 verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. This word Goliath, when I look to the root word Goliath, just keep it on the screen for a while, while is that this root word comes from, from the word Galah. And Galah means to denude. It means to strip off. It means to expose yourself in a disgraceful sense. So when Goliath was shouting to the armies of God, he was exposed, although he was exposed himself, he did it to expose them. He did it to expose them. And what I've realized is this. Failure will do everything it can to expose you. It is designed to make you powerless. If you will allow failure to get in your spirit, as I did and as many of us have done, what it, there's only one thing it will do. It will make you powerless. It will not create power to you. It will strip everything from you and it will expose you. Like I've said, that failed marriage, that adultery, that business failure, those kids off the rails, that prison sentence, it's all the same name, failure. And this failure is a stigma and it's there to bring shame and embarrassment. But the second thing I want to say about this kind of failure, this failure gives birth to fear and fear is relentless. We sing a song in this church, your love is relentless. I want to say there's another thing that's relentless. It's fear. Because it says in the same story of 1 Samuel 17, as David went to fight Goliath, it says there, this is before David even faces him, for 40 days, 1 Samuel 17 verse 16, for 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine, Goliath, strutted in front of the armies of God, Day after day. This means to say for 40 days, morning and night, he strutted before the armies of God. That's 80 struts. Have you anybody ever seen anybody walking down the middle of Mansfield strutting? It's a bit embarrassing really, isn't it? 
You've all seen the John Travolta kind of, I'm not going to do it by the way. The John Travolta, you know, sad night fever and he's strutting his stuff. This is what Goliath was like. He was strutting his stuff before the armies of God. Before the armies of God. And it was day after day, morning and night. Day after day, morning and night. Day after day, morning and night. And what was he propagating? Fear. Fear is relentless. It's relentless. It will try and take a hold of you. And again, it will do exactly the same thing. It will make you powerless. There are many churches around the nation. There are many Christian people. There are many Christian leaders who will not move. They won't do anything because of past failures. But I want to say to us, this is not the kind of church that you've come to today. This is not the kind of church that we belong to. Yes, fear can can gnaw away at us, can even speak into our ears, but we're not going to live in fear. Can I hear an amen? We're not going to allow fear to hold us back and to stop us to walk into all that God has for us. This is not just rhetoric. This is not just words. God has an amazing plan for your life. God has an amazing plan for your family. God has an amazing plan for your business and for your workplace. God has an amazing plan for this church. And he wants to fulfill his purposes. He's just looking for men and women who will rise up with an audacious, bold, fearless kind of spirit. And who may say to themselves, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm strong enough. I don't think I'm big enough. But with God, I can do all things. That's what he's looking for. David wasn't big enough in the natural. He wasn't strong enough in the natural. But with God, he knew that he could take this nine foot, you know, nine foot, nine foot and a half giant. And there are three things that I see very quickly that happened in David. First of all, David had a fearless spirit because he knew his peas. That's the first point. He knew his peas. He knew his passion. He knew his purpose. And he knew his priority. If you want to be fearless, you've got to try and discern what you are here to do. Why, what have you been, do you think you're just passing through and this is just your life? God has got plans for your life. God has got an amazing plan for your life. And if the amazing plan is, plan is to be the best joiner, tiler, you know, carpenter, that's an amazing plan. You know, for some people, they think they have to be amazing to be the prime minister or, you know, they have to be, you know, the Steve Jobs of the, of the business world or they have to be, you know, an MP. No, they, they, that's their call. You've got to find out what you are called to do. What is your call? What is your passion? What is your, you know, I actually now wouldn't do anything else. I said this to people. You'd have to now sack me You'd have to dismiss me. You'd have to kick me out of here, okay? And, and if you did that, by the way, I would be upset, but I'd go and do it somewhere else because I've now found my passion. This is what makes me come alive. This is my purpose, and my purpose and passion then direct my priorities. David knew that his passion and his was Jesus and his purpose was to be the king. And that then directed his priorities, which was when you're all fallen and fainted and frightened, I'm going to take on this beast of a man called Goliath. 
Do you understand it? So we've got to begin to understand what is our passion, what is our purpose, what are our priorities. Some of you are in small groups here. You need to, and there's some small group leaders here. You might want to do something around that. What is your purpose? What is your part? And try and help people to understand what God has called them to be. You're not just by chance. Am I speaking to anybody? You're not just here and thinking, well, I'm just walking through life. I always remember the time when Andy, because he'll do anything you ask him to do. I know he won't mind me saying this, but I once had a one-on-one because he's one of our elders and I try and a couple of times a year just to, we meet regularly, but then just have a one-on-one. You're wondering where I'm going with this, but don't worry, you're safe. Yeah, you trust me, thank you. And I, and I just said to Andy, he was involved in two or three areas and I just said, you know, about the PA and he was heading up the PA at that point and I said, why are you doing that? He says, well, because it needs doing and because I love you and I love the church and I just want to do what, I said, have you got any passion for it? No, I'm just, no, well, no, not really, but I'm just doing it because I want to do it. I said, mate, I don't want you serving out of duty. He wasn't. I want you serving out of passion. Because when we serve out of passion, it gets us out of bed in the morning and we think, I want to get here because I want to do what God's called me to do. Now, there's other areas which are passionate to him. We've said, so what I basically said to him is, well, unravel yourself out of that. And, and stay focused on the things that God's called you to be. They're the things that will make you come alive. By the way, there are some people who stepped up into PA, which are now brilliant. They love it. They come down here. You know, there's some guys who serve because they do what they need to do. But then there's other guys who absolutely love the thought of doing PA. And that's wonderful. That gets them out of bed in the morning. Are you, am I making myself clear? I'm trying to encourage us. If we're going to live a fearless life, we've got to know what is our passion, what is our purpose, what is our priorities. Then we begin to bold and courageous. This is who God, and this is what God has called me to be. And we see that how he faced Goliath. We haven't got time to go through the scriptures. The second thing that I believe that David did is he trusted his gut. He trusted his gut. If we're going to be fearless, Jared... We've got to learn to trust this thing called our gut. Some people want to get all spiritual, use spiritual language. Oh, our spirits, our soul, whatever you want to do. But there's something in it in us that we've got to learn to trust as Christian people. We've got to learn to trust this gut. Because what happened was, the king of the day, by the name of Saul, David went to see him. said, when everybody else is frightened, I'll go and fight him. I'll go and fight this giant. So this is what happened was, the king said to him, um, in 1 Samuel 17 verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around, but he was not used to them. He said to Saul, I can't go in these. Because I am not used to them, so he took them off. There was somebody who was trying to say to him, if you're going to fight this giant, you need to make sure you're armed up and prepared, and I'll give you my armory. But David, I'm not talking about being stupid, but he was a fearless man who understood his passion, his purpose, and priorities, but he also understood his gut. He was going to trust his gut. I don't need this armory to go and take this beast of a man. All I need is a sling. 
All I need is my stones and a bit of distance and I can take him. He was trusting his God. And you've got to, and how do you begin to do that? Well, I think one of the things you begin to do in trusting your God is leaning into the voice of God. Leaning, it's actually not just leaning into the voice of God. Let me give you a phrase here. I think we need to lean into the thoughts of God. I often don't hear the voice of God. I hear the thoughts of God. God's thoughts often come through the Bible. And he places a thought, his thought, in my psychic, and I know it's God. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. We need to keep leaning into God, keep going on a, on a journey of knowing God, knowing God better, understanding his voice. And when we begin to do that, we then can begin to trust our God more than ever. And the more I lean into God, the more I get to know God, the more passionate I get, the stronger I get, the more confident I get, not in me, but in Him, in me. Are you, are you understanding this? Yeah. We've got to learn to trust our God. It often makes no sense. This didn't. David, you need to go in the armory of the king. Take the sword. Get armed up. But David's response was, listen, I'm going to trust my God. I'm better without it. I'll just take what I know. It invariably never makes sense. I'm keep looking over at Dan. Never, why would you give up a career in the police force? It makes no sense for what you're doing. But you're trusted. You're God. You knew God. He was leaning into his voice a lot more. It invariably makes sense. Family will think you're mad, you're strange, you're crazy. What on earth are you on about? But you trusted your God. You know, some of you are going to have to just trust it a little bit more because it often doesn't make sense. It often doesn't make sense. But if God's speaking to you, and that's the point. Now, I'm a big believer in also taking the counsel of others because it says in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. So don't just say randomly announce, right, we're selling up. You know, we're going to go and live in a caravan and travel, travel the country. We're going to go camping with, uh, with Beth and their kids and with the other kids and Claire and Toby. We're going to go, you know, camp. That would be crazy, crazy. Everybody say crazy. Just nudge the nurse and pets and say, that's crazy. Don't do it. We're not all talking about doing, come on, do it. Nudge the person next to you and say, that's crazy. Okay, that's crazy. I'm not advocating craziness. What I am advocating is that we hear the voice of God and we lean into that voice and whatever he's asking us to do, we go and do it. I have to say, this building is not here just because it came up on the market. We had a clear sense that this was our building. The guy said to me when I went to the auction, they said, you can go up to 200,000, not a penny more. Okay, boys. Yes, sir. So I walked into that auction thing. I, I, this is where, you know, you, you can sort of lose it. I could have easily announced that that building was ours. I knew that God had given us that building. I told Caroline, I said, this is our building. It's not going to exceed it. This is going to be our building. We are going to own this building. By the way, some of you were here at the time. We were in Field Mill. There would be what? 30, 40, 50 of us. That was it. And there was a good contingent coming over from Ilkeston as well. 
We had very little money coming through. It makes no sense. Look around here. You may, you're just enjoying it now. If it's your first time here, you've been coming for a few weeks. You think, oh, this is great. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. But it invariably does. But you've got to trust your God. Hear the voice of God and then trust your God. Trust your God and walk fearlessly in it. So when the hammer came down, 170, because we bought this for 171,000 freehold. That's amazing. Can't get a nice house for that, can you? And the hammer came down. I was like, yes. We had Steve and Phil, Jared's dad, who's one of the elders, and Phil, who's the teaching pastor. They were in the corner. They were speaking in tongues. They were, they were. Everybody must have thought, what is going on here? A bunch of wheelers. I'm like, distanced myself away from them. I'm, I'm just on the, you keep praying, boys. You know. Trust your gut. Know your peas. Lastly, are you still with me? Because I've cut this right down. There's lots more that I could say. I think if we're going to live a fearless life, this is all helping us. How do we develop this fearless spirit? You've got to hone your skills. What do I mean by that? It says about David, because what happened was, let me get to it, So I think I've jumped ahead. Yeah. In 1 Samuel 17 verse 34, before he goes to fight Goliath, David says to the king, because the, the, the king was questioning him, saying, you can't do this. I've got seasoned warriors who won't take him on. What chance have we got with a little boy? But this is what David said. David said to the king, in verse 34, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. (laughs) Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the poor of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Listen to me. David did not just go from being a boy to taking on a giant. He was honing his skills in obscurity. Nobody had heard of him. Nobody knew what was happening. But there was a fearless spirit. There was a confidence in God and his ability in God to deal with these. That he knew that this was going to be easy. Who would fancy taking on? You know, a 10-foot grizzly bear here. Raise your hand. No, I wouldn't. I love watching mindless TV at times. Let me qualify that. There's a place, there's a program called Beyond Alaska or Alaska, The Last Frontier. Has anybody ever watched it on TV these now? I love them. You see the grizzlies there and, you know, the, the, the deers and all the wildlife and whatever. And you see these huge beasts. That's what David was taking on. I wouldn't fancy taking on a bear. I wouldn't fancy taking on a lion. Some of your cats I wouldn't like taking on. I've seen them. They look pretty fearful to, fearful to me. But he was taking on these animals in obscurity. Third point, I've already said to you, he was honing his skill. He was honing his skill. So when it came to the giant, it wasn't difficult. Because he'd already taken on the lion. He'd already taken on the bear. 
But the king didn't know that. Let me go back to my notes. In obscurity, when you're unknown, when you're forgotten, if things aren't working out as you want them to be, just keep going with it. Keep honing your skill. Just keep honing your skill. Developing that fearless spirit. You know, the Bible says don't dismiss or despise the day of small beginnings. What God has started, he will complete. You have been prepared for this. All your faults, all your failings, all your mistakes, this is bringing you to a place of victory. Now, why did he take the five smooth stones? Well, some commentators said because he would miss one. It's not true. It's not true. Okay? Most commentators actually believe because Goliath had four brothers, which he did, 2 Samuel 21 identifies four brothers of Goliath. And they were all from gigantic genealogies. They're all giants. And he took five smooth, smooth stones. And he took those smooth stones because he thought, if Goliath comes, I'll take him. And if his brothers come, I'll take his brothers as well. But this is the point. He was so confident that he would hit with one stone. Why? Because he had been honing his skills. Let me give you an example because time's gone. He picked up, you can imagine him, nobody watching, looking after his sheep. The sheep are fine on a lovely spring day. He picks up the sling. Ah, missed. He's trying to get that tree, that uh, leaf off that tree. I'm going again. Picks up another stone. Ow, nearly got it. Just below, below it. I'm going again. Yes, yes, yes. I took the leaf off the tree. Imagine him practicing day after day. Goes and gets the stones. I'll have another go. This is all license. You've got to go with me. But what was he doing when he was looking after his sheep? There's only so much he can do with sheep. Isn't there? I mean, come on. They didn't have internet, young people. There were no internet and mobile phones. Sorry, Bethany, there was no internet and Lilia and all the rest of it. There were no, you know, Dr. Beats, you know, playing his music. He was honing his skills. He was honing his skills. So he knew that when he came to that Goliath, all he needed was a bit of distance. And he even knew the distances that he would need with the power that he could exert to take the giant down with one stone. I believe that we are here for such a time as this. No one is born a hero. It takes courageous decisions to get to this status. You want to be a hero in your home? You want to be a hero with your family? You want to be a hero in your workplace? You want to be a hero in your community? You want to be a hero in the church? It takes courageous decisions day by day to get to this status. So in conclusion, I believe we're called to take risks in this life of adventure. Securing the knowledge that I am loved by God in failure and success. It says that David answered to Goliath from verse 45. 
You come at me with sword and spear and battle and axe, and I come at you in the name of God, the angel armies, the God of Israel's troops, whom you curse and mock. This very day, God is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you. I'm about to cut off your head. I know it's a bit gory, but just stay with me. And serve up your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and the coyotes. The whole earth will know that there is an extraordinary God in Israel. And everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by means of sword or spear. The battle belongs to God. And he's handing you to me on a platter. These were the words that he declared to this giant that stood before him. He knew his peace. He was trusting his gut. He was honing his skills. And therefore, he walked into his destiny in God. Embraced failure as a teacher. A friend, not a foe. If failure comes, handled correctly, it will catapult you into greater victories. Step out. Stop waiting. And live with bravery and strength. He is with you, mighty warriors of God.